music of the same old radio sound, <sighs> then you need Vibrant Radio. Spice up your life. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. Hello, everybody. You're listening to Mentally Sound with Stephen Hesse and Ricky Thamen on our new home on Spice FM. We're back! Start the show! Yeah, yeah. 
Show. Hello everybody, welcome to a brand new edition of Mentally Sound right here on our new home on Spice FM. We are super excited to be here and, and my name is obviously, as mentioned in the introduction, Mr. Stephen Hesse. And we're really, really grateful for you to give us the opportunity to listen to us. This is your first time listening and as mentioned obviously with us saying the phrase new home is that we were previously on another radio station and so our job in the first introduction i guess is to explain to you fine folks how we ended up um doing the show in the first place how we got into spice how we got to spice fm and obviously we're really grateful for the opportunity and the fact that we've won a couple of awards when we did it which was really cool which i guess we'll discuss at some point Mm -hmm. and i should say before we officially start and i introduce my uh fantastic co-host which will explain how he bribed his way into (laughs) becoming uh the person he did I knew, yeah. was, I knew he was going to jump in with something. <laughs> is um, obviously uh, to explain briefly who we are and what we do, and the premise of the show is the show is called Mentally Sound, and we basically talk about mental health. Uh, obviously, something that's incredibly taboo um, and sometimes uh, stereotypically difficult to talk about. Um, one of the things I think is appropriate is that we say, as a disclaimer, that. Uh, we're going to potentially talk about things that are difficult for some people to maybe hear, mm-hmm. um, that are difficult to listen yes. to maybe. So the disclaimer is is that we pull no punches in terms of mm-hmm. um, what we may discuss in relation to that. We obviously talk about other things and we like yeah. to think we want to be funny and entertaining yeah. as well because it's not just a serious show. Um, but just to let people know that we may something might come, come mm-hmm. up that's difficult to listen to or deal with. But we basically have a no judgmental policy here. So mm-hmm. we talk about... And we always say to people, you know, yes. if you are feeling certain things that we talk about, always say professional GP. Yes, one. exactly. And and as which is a good point, Ricky's just mentioned, is that we will obviously you know let people be aware of mm-hmm. uh, of of people they may want to contact. And mm-hmm. part of our job here is also to let people know that there are services around yes. and yes. and various other things. But as you just yeah, I must give him an official introduction. Please welcome to this to the show. My fantastic co-host, Mr. Ricky Thamen. Hello, sir. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. The Fred Norris to my heart. <laughs> there. I know you wanted me to say that because we're good. For, we're good. For, uh, we're huge fans of that show. Mm. Um, but yeah, so I guess how have you been since this whole period of time? And I guess also you were the first. You were the like sort of main reason we ended up on Spice. So do you want to mm. explain how that happened? And I guess like a little bit of background. Well, yes. I mean. First of all, thank you, Spice FM, for giving us this uh, yeah. opportunity. I'm so, so excited to be here on our yeah. debut pilot show. Mm-hmm. So how it came about, yeah, as, so things ended with the last station we were at. Um, mm-hmm. you know, and it was a bit of a frustrating time because, you know, live radio kind of became part of me, as it's, you know, in, ten, in terms of raising awareness. Um, so we were kind of hunting around, and I've done some work with Spice FM before when I used to be involved with Love Music Hate Racism, and uh, I was actually offered a slot, I was telling you before, um, but that was when I was ill, so unfortunately I couldn't take it up. But I kind of knew that th- there would still be a future where, you know, I'd be, I'd be working with Spice, but I didn't, re- I didn't really think it would be with Mentally Sound, but yet here we are. Mm-hmm. Um, I approached um, Sandeep and approached uh, Iram, who have been fantastically um responsive to us um yeah. given this and yeah i mean it's been about what six seven months since the last radio show we yeah did. we did a I couple know we did of podcasts in between yeah 
Well, the problem is, is that without going into too much detail, because we don't want it to be like, you know, hello, welcome to Let's Slander. Well, yeah. You know, we're not that we're not that type of people. Yeah. But basically, the the point is, we had some, as as Ricky said, we're in a frustrating situation where we weren't able to get shows out, yeah. um, and that led to shows being delayed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, one of the things which obviously has become a huge benefit because we're on a very you know an established uh, station that people have heard of, um, is that that gamble paid off essentially. Yeah. Um, and so it's a nice segue into the stuff we used mm-hmm. to do because basically uh, the history of our show, which is important for people who are listening, especially new people, mm-hmm. is that it, it was established by two mental health charities. Uh, was mental health mental health northeast yes. and Launchpad? Yes, uh, which uh, Launchpad is based in Newcastle, and mental health northeast is Durham. Durham, I believe. Durham yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, there was people involved uh, within them organisations that got us involved. And through my radio experience, I'd ha- I, people have been aware that I, you know, do my own podcast and yeah. various other things. Um, is that they asked me to be involved and also well, you were a natural selection for well, well thank you very much um, I'll, I'll pay him money later uh, <laughs> is, uh, is one of the things that made uh, a great deal of sense is as well which we're very frank about this so let's be let's be upfront with our new let's listenership frank, yeah. is um, yeah uh, let's be mentally <laughs> let's, be too, let's be too frank <laughs> sorry you're frank one I'm frank too Richie just made me laugh by saying that uh, is one of the things that we're very open about is I have bipolar disorder mm. Uh, which is another segue into why it kind of makes sense for me to be involved. And I guess really the byproduct of that, and Ricky can explain if he wants to about his own personal situation, is that it means that we're trying to portray, and it doesn't necessarily mean people involved in this have to have a mental health issue, but the, but it, we're kind of portraying that we can be capable human beings because I guess that's the main stereotype when it comes to mental health that's kind of holds ground in society that people think if you have bipolar disorder you know because it's often you know compared to like it's often in trials and yeah. is used in excuses for people to do some truly awful things which yes. i get annoyed about yes. um is that it's it's a frustrating situation to be in and uh, we're trying to sort of educate people in a friendly mm-hmm. you know nice manner and not mm-hmm. trying to be sort of you know patronizing mm-hmm. or anything like that um, but also showing that this is a safe place to talk about it and ask what you may consider a stupid question because I've been asked stuff by you know some really close people of, of mine um, about these situations and about how difficult it can be mm-hmm. and believe it or not I, you know it's just having the attitude which I do of going there's no real stupid questions when it comes to mental health because mm-hmm. sadly the information that exists is, is few and far between yes. in mainstream media which is one of the reasons we started this show in the first place mm-hmm. Um so what do you what were your what's your sort of view on an opinion of you know looking back retrospectively of the shows we did in the past um like when because uh, one of the things that new listenerships would may want to hear is when you first got involved mm-hmm. like do you want to just just describe what that was like well it, i mean in a sense it was quite fluky because um like do you remember that first inauguration meeting there was about 30 of us that sat in a room and me uh, my, my steve mentioned my own personal situation i have post-traumatic distress disorder so um ptsd so it's kind of you know so anxiety is is a big common feature that and i just remember sitting there thinking what am i doing here i was getting all anxious and and yeah i was surrounded by all these sort of brilliant people i think i was sitting next to you as sitting next to you wasn't it remember maybe so yeah. i we, we've questioned this several times <laughs> we ever bring this up as we go when did we actually meet was it in this meeting or was it just randomly or I whatever it was, it was but but you seem to see i you seem to think i was there which yeah. is kind of makes sense oh um, yeah uh, i recognize your tattoo <laughs> you're definitely there <laughs> yeah but i just um, had a shoveled look which is why i'm on radio <laughs> uh, well, there you go same here <laughs> so um so yeah that i mean i i, I mean i've had some radio experience 
experience, but I didn't expect to 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 be involved in the way I am. I'm design. I'm a designer by trade, so I offered to do any sort of um, paraphernalia, like business cards, promotions, that kind of thing. Um, and it was just when I started doing mental health news after a few months in that I became more acquainted with it and sort of became more used to being behind the microphone and. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> Yeah, it, it just kind of went from there, didn't it? And yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, because um, one of the things, when remember when we did the training, because one of the things that we got an opportunity to do, which is really great, was mm-hmm. Launchpad said, well, you should train people into, like sort of letting people understand how relevant this is for someone like yourself to get the confidence to talk yeah. more openly and sort of it helps in a really roundabout way deal with whatever mm-hmm. disorder or illness that you might have. Mm-hmm. Um, because... If you don't mind me saying, and I know you're the first to say this, is that the anxiety and the the confidence you had was very limited yes. to begin with. And now, like, compare it to now, whenever me and you do a well, yeah, show, it's yeah. quite frightening. I mean, I have to thank you for that as well, because That's I think, right. I think you recognised that something was changing within me. I was becoming more confident. I was more kind of used to being doing guest slots. Mm. But then to suddenly be behind the microphone and talking to other people, interviewing them, is, is yeah. like a big, big leap. And, and I'm so thankful for this. You actually bring a... That's a really good point because we've talked about this so many times on so many shows we've done is that uh, personality and mental health are two different things. And to paraphrase that to to your good self, I noticed from the beginning with the people I've worked with in media before, I was like, you know, I don't want to go into this, but I've worked for the BBC before and a few Mm -hmm. other things and I've met some talented people. Mm -hmm. But I think I have a good insight because... I was similar to you when I first started mm-hmm. way back when, you know, I'm 29 now, so whatever it was when I was 16. And I was the same in that I remember being, because I had mental health issues, I was really reluctant to talk. And mm-hmm. and so I pushed myself to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that that's my regular personality yeah. in the sense of it doesn't manifest itself in my mental health mm-hmm. as much as people think. Mm-hmm. So that's what I want to do. The fact that I, I, I have a desire to do that means yeah. that, that's why I wanted to do it and I saw the same thing in you and that it wasn't a case of that you weren't able to do it it's just you needed the tools to be able to yeah. portray what you already have Allow it to progress um, kind of thing, because yeah. some people can't do this as much yeah. as people like to it's like whenever you see someone try stand-up comedy like you know that you kind of know if someone's funny or someone isn't yeah. it's like you can't really teach someone you can mm-hmm. teach someone to tell a joke you can't Absolutely. teach someone to be funny yeah. and that's kind of how I perceive radio I think the turning sense. point for me uh, was when <clears throat> I was asked a, I was asked a couple of years ago by Radio 4 to talk about men mental breakdown and um, uh, they, they kind of got in touch and said I notice you on social media you talk a lot about mental health we're wondering if you would come and, and, and talk about um, your own personal situation and, and your experience now, yeah. my immediate answer was no because I was like you know is it going to be a live thing is it going to be um, you know other people in the room I'm going to get really anxious but then <clears throat> the, the, la- the lady the, the producer over the phone was like really sweet and she says oh you're gonna, you're gonna give you a, a ticket. You're gonna go and come down the train to Bristol. We're gonna be sitting across on the kitchen table, <laughs> and that was really great because the you could hear the, like the birds singing outside. It was a yeah. really kind of really nice atmosphere, and, and that allowed me to open up. And, and like I say, I, I, like yourself, I've, I've been involved with the BBC before doing this 
sort of thing. Yeah, you can BBC yeah, Five Live stuff. Five yeah. Live, yeah, 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 it's kind of cool. Right. Um, so one of the things that our show is really um prominent in is, and we're going to showcase this now because I uh, I forgot to mention at the beginning that this is essentially like a pilot episode, and that yeah. we're sort of letting people know who we are mm-hmm. and sort of showcasing some of the stuff we've done. And some of the pre-records we're about to play, mm-hmm. uh, this first one, well, all of them in this show in particular, but obviously the one coming up now, uh, are ones we haven't had the chance to actually play. I'm right in saying that all of them aren't they, or ones we've never used. Yet. Uh, I think there's one or two in there that we haven't. All used. right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I think particularly the going on from our last the Emma Kenny one. Got, yeah. Yeah. The Emma Kenny one we never used. No. No. As far as I know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So do you want to say quickly what's coming up and then we're going to play it? So I got the chance to talk to Emma Kenny, who's a. Um, she's almost like a TV personality now because you see her a lot on. You see her a lot on these sorts of uh, uh, crime shows where she talks. She's a TV psychologist. She's a psychologist and therapist. She has her own sort of. Um, um, agency in Manchester where I think she's based but she often uh, appears on such programs offering her insight and opinion onto why sort of situations have developed as they are involving sort of it's really good and she goes on into part two which we're going to play a little bit later in the second hour uh, where she talks about that in relation to her dad which is incredibly yeah, she, powerful she did a piece for Time to Change yeah. um, one of the most renowned sort of mental health charities Great. About her father's And she's a psychologist, right? Psychologist, yeah. Great. Okay, well, we're going to play that now for you, ladies and gentlemen, and then we're going to come back in the studio and talk a little bit more. But this is part one of Ricky's interview with Emma Kenny, and you're listening to Mentally Sound here on Spice FM. Hello, it's uh, it's Ricky here with Mentally Sound with a with another uh, recorded piece, and I'm going to be interviewing uh, Emma Kenny, renowned uh, TV psychologist. Um, how are you, Emma? I'm very well, thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for agreeing to do this. Um, yeah, for, for Mentally Sound, this is a huge scoop. So I'm over the moon. I'm absolutely over the moon absolute that you're pleasure. sparing a few minutes to talk to me. So, so yes, um, a renowned uh, psychologist on TV and radio, which providing unique insight into sort of famous criminal cases um so tell me how how did you get into that um how did you fall into it as it were well ironically i fell into tv full stop by a bit of a mistake about a decade ago i was asked when i was working in mental health particularly with quite excluded communities we had a round robin you get these you know they drop into your mailbox mm-hmm. regarding wanting to seek out children who were reclusives. It was a production company and long and short of it was I didn't feel that it was very ethical to go for reclusive children within a documentary purely because I felt that their particular mental health disorder probably wouldn't benefit from the experience. Long story short, got involved with them. They ended up changing their direction to a different documentary and my name was passed on so on and so forth and I was asked to kind of go for a screen test many years ago. I did a 20-part episode for BBC Two called mm-hmm. The People Watchers, which is a psychology programme. I remember and that. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, that was my uh, first my first show on TV. And then from there, I was very lucky. I got asked to do Good Morning Britain. Well, it was Good Morning t- G- GMTV, Good Morning Television back yes. then. Yes. Then Daybreak, then Good Morning Britain, now and this morning. So the crime programmes came from the fact that I'm heavily involved in working with victims of crime, more mm-hmm. than perpetrators, although I have worked with perpetrators, so more the result of being a victim of crime. And because of that, I think because I'm quite old in the tooth now and I can answer questions quite succinctly on television, I get work because of that, but also because I've always stayed in the field, you know, I've never given up my job 
it's yes, something that yes. I'm really passionate about. Um, mental health is a huge thing for me, and therapy is my home, so I will always be involved in that. So I've been very lucky, privileged to be on TV, privileged to be involved in working with cases like you see on Britain's Darkest Taboos mm-hmm. and other programmes associated with that, but primarily still very much focused on people and their issues. So on the, on the back of that then, um, how would you define uh, criminology then? Are you also, would you also class yourself as a criminologist? Is there a, is there a fine line? Well, I wouldn't class myself as a criminologist purely because that would be, in my opinion, psychologically a forensic. So my very good friend, Dr. Kerry Nixon, that I'm sure I'll be able to get her to talk to you about things like this. Yes. She is a forensic, so her PhD is in forensic, and she works in profiling Mm -hmm. and working with offenders and also helping offenders not re-offend essentially by making sure that they're getting the right kind of help and uh, you know in in the places that she particularly works what i would say is i've worked um heavily with offenders but Mm -hmm. that wouldn't be my field of choice i'm more into working with mental health disorders and personality disorders and obviously victims who have been affected by emotional abuse, sexual abuse, physical abuse and any other type of life trauma that impacts on the mental health and well-being. Yeah. I mean, uh, uh, yeah, that leads me to, to to this question. I mean, I enjoy your insights on Britain's Togs Taboos and uh, more recently on Judge Rinder's Crime Stories. Yeah, Judge Rinder's Crime Stories and Channel, uh, Channel 5 Star I'm on at the moment. So I believe right. on Wednesday evening. Oh. <laughs> Another one, that's When Kids Kill. I mean, all the joyful ones. All the, jo- <laughs> all the, all the happy ones. Yeah. So how does, how does um, when you're dealing with specific um, famous cases. Um, how do you approach that as a case study? Does and how often does mental health play a part? Right from say the origins to say right through to you know the victims and their trauma and what they go through. Does, is it is it is it an often occurrence? Yeah, it's an interesting question, really, because unfortunately, in the world of television, to a degree, yeah. there is always a need for the viewer to feel satisfied at the end of the programme, which I agree with. So usually, particularly on Britain's Darkest Taboos, you will have a clinical case of this person is bad, this person is good, this is a tragedy, this Mm. is what those people are doing to cope with the tragedy, and it's digestible for the human being watching. And I think that's really important. But at the same time, when I step back from that, if I was approaching it in a more therapeutic dynamic as opposed to a commentator dynamic, obviously I would be much more aware of the incidents leading up to that particular killer's profile, the life experiences that they had, as you noted, personality disorders, and um, maybe even psychopathy, depending on whether they've been profiled. And I would have more time and compassion to a degree to be able to kind of explore that individual as the individual presenting themselves in therapy would be. But unfortunately, in television, it's a little bit different because we haven't got the nuances for that. However, when you say how much is a mental health issue, you know, part of that process, I think certainly for some cases that we've focused on, where young men killed uh, family members and were smoking lots of cannabis, playing lots of games, isolated from their friends, going through, at times, delusionary behaviour. You can't help but acknowledge that they weren't processing the world in the way that ideally they should have been, Mm -hmm. and therefore that definitely led to part and parcel of why they turned into a killer. Mm -hmm. You know, there are big distinctions between the Pat Regan case, where her son, you know, sorry, her grandson knifed her to death when he believed that she was an alien, he was clearly going through a psychotic episode yes. and 
we did cover that and I did very clearly make that because I felt that was a very sad case. And then we have the, you know, the Philpot case, Smith Philpot, mm-hmm. where we've got a narcissistic psychopath who mm-hmm. I hope to goodness never sees the light of day mm-hmm. again in his life, certainly doesn't deserve to and certainly would not be safe walking the streets. So it's interesting because I think that mental health plays a part in everybody's world, but you can't help but deny the statistics that around 70% of offenders in prison who are male yeah been sexually abused many of them have had hideous upbringings Mm. and we are formed as much as we are born into Mm. a certain set of genetic tendencies Mm. so i think it's a really good question to pose and unfortunately what you don't necessarily get on television what i'd love to do but goodness me if you can find somebody who'll commission this you know I'd, i'd be very surprised but thrilled i would be really interested in in the profile of killers but not in the this is a nasty human being who deserves to be put to death, as in the States, their kind of protocol. More, you know, how has this human being been neglected, rejected, avoided, Mm. isolated, and the result of that is they have become somebody that society cannot... And quite quite often as well, and from your insight, we... We often sort of find out that there was there was a chance for intervention to come into play, which never came yes. about. So when you're dealing with things like schizophrenia involving yes. murder cases, uh, how often do you find elements of that where intervention yeah, is? Yeah, lots, lots of the cases have got situations where should somebody have involved themselves at the point that they were asked for. I mean, even when you look at something like the Louis Staines case with Breck Bedner, you know, Breck was an intelligent, articulate, trusting child. Louis Staines very much the manipulative psychopath. Yeah. And, you know, he had, had prior interest in him as a potential rapist and he actually was regarded by the mother as a potential psychopath and the police didn't act, they didn't follow it up. Now, Breck would be here if that hadn't happened. But at the same time, I'm afraid, like I'm sure you know, as well as I know, that we're just not very good mm-hmm. in the UK at dealing with mental health. I'm sure that we're better than a lot mm-hmm. of places. Mm-hmm. But from my experience, and you know, certainly when I've had young people presenting to me as potential disassociative, shall we say, so a disassociative episode, you know, schizophrenia, trying to get help for them yeah. is like pulling teeth. Right. To, right. to the point where I sometimes think somebody has to turn up on the fire to get that help Mm. and it's an interesting conversation that I have with people who work in this profession very very close to a friend of mine who tried killing himself on a few occasions and watching him try to get help and consistently being told that you're coping because your family's there or you're coping because you know you're not doing it all the time it's quite frustrating because you don't get the intervention at the right point you know for you and the chances are because of that we end up working with people in crisis, not at times where we could actually resolve their issues early on. Um, I, yeah, I'd, I'd change the whole system. <laughs> Simple as that. Four hours a day, seven days a week. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. Welcome to your community announcement answer machine. To broadcast your community announcement on Spice FM free of charge, call 0191273988. Select option 3 and record your message. No more messages. Spice FM 98.8 FM. I'm in my pain with this finger. 
singing my life with his words, killing me softly with his song, killing me softly with his song, telling my whole life with his words, killing me softly with his song. On this rose, I got my girl L. One time, one time. Hey yo, L, you know you got the lyrics. I heard he sang a good song. I heard he had style, and so I came to see him and listen for a while.
together for L Book from the Refugee Camp. Ah, you know how we do Why Clef Fries? Well, my man Little Bass, ah, Jerry, one time. This is how we do it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Medley Sound right here on Gravity Radio. No, it's not. I'm just kidding. Uh, it's Spice FM, our new home. That's just a nice segue to say that we're in a new place. And uh, I'm really. Uh, we were laughing during the <laughs> during the break because we said like we hope we didn't mean like it was no it wasn't an ironic title by the fact we were playing the Fugees. Uh, so just to let people know that that was just just we liked the song. It was just yeah. uh, but we were just laughing, going maybe someone might take that the wrong way, but it's totally fine. Uh, we didn't mean it in any just any for the way. audience. I had no yeah, say yeah. in this whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I think you'll find Ricky took the time to go to the very immaculate toilets you were saying, <laughs> which I was, which, which I was praising, by the way. <laughs> yes, he wasn't being derogatory to the place we are. We have to give a quick. Now we've got the opportunity to say this. Uh, a good, a good friends here at uh, Spice FM is the the Beacon Centre, which I went past and never been in, is a really nice place. It is, yeah. Because um, you're well, I I go past this place to work to work almost every morning, and yeah. I've never really kind of went in and. Sort of delved into it but yeah well impressed when we had that yeah. meeting uh, well I, I said this when we first came here to kind of talk about Australian uh, Spice FM and that my friend um, lived uh, across the road and so I always passed here and, well, the previous uh, Spice FM was. Um, am I right, Amit? It was above a was above, above a takeaway in the middle of West Road. Yeah, really? that's, yeah. That's where I went when we did yeah, our like music interview. Yeah, I like that. I like when you find like you get these like studios and like they're in a, like an underground thing. I remember like when um, I, I remember like did a guest spot on NA One years ago yeah. and like when they used to be in like a it used to go through like people playing dominoes and stuff like that <laughs> in a random place. Then you'd go and like it's an, 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 an it was like an underground. I felt like I'm going to play like you know underground. Radio, yeah, like under Gorilla Radio. I thought I was playing like yeah, like the pirate radio and like yeah. the ship or something, yeah. but underground. Yeah. But it also felt like you know, like the movie Rounders, like with poker or something. That I'm going down to play underground illegal gambling or something. <laughs> so it really felt like. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, um, obviously we played the uh, should mention the Emma Kenny uh, interview, which was really unbelievably good. I obviously listened to it a few times because I have to sometimes edit stuff down, and it was a phenomenal do- job by Ricky. And like I mentioned earlier, we're going to play part two in the second. Uh, half mm-hmm. and the idea is um, in doing so that she goes on to talk about um, how mental health affected her in a personal sense yeah. and Ricky touched on it earlier it's phenomenally you know open and incredibly nice of her to do that um, and as you see as Ricky mentioned she's uh, predominantly and I know she'll be listening because uh, I I, I, mentioned told, to I told to her and yeah well on behalf of I guess I mean I speak for everybody who's involved in this but apologies directly to Emma for not getting to to run that but I hope she understands the circumstances oh, yeah, that we she, weren't she, able she's to well um, but yeah um, we should mention as well we've got the, the pre-records coming up before we uh, talk a little bit more is um, we have the um, uh, how do you say the ag- or an agno maybe my dyslexia can you say what Perfect it is Perfect Hunch of an Agrophobe that's right yeah. uh, which is a film uh, independent film I think released a yeah. couple of years ago um, which touched on as I say agrophobia domestic violence mm-hmm. <coughs> and uh, uh, within the confines of what an abusive relationship can lead to and, and so on. so yeah, yeah, she makes a very valid point. Uh, just, I guess, a little bit of a... <laughs> I mean, we're playing this in 10 minutes, so it's a little bit of a... a, a but I think this kind of um, highlights what you were saying at the beginning of the show about yes. when we talk about mental health, is that there's absolutely every medium possible that we can... And we've already talked about uh, music. We, we, we've done comedy music on this show 
previous and now we're talking about film it's just different mediums of getting the message out there that that, that works and you often find this is why we said about hopefully being entertaining and saying the odd joke here and there yeah. is the art in its greatest form Absolutely. changes changes Absolutely. people's viewpoints and yeah. so having mental health in an art fashion one of the things we actually did this is a really good segue and I, I'm glad you mentioned this so a couple of things the movie club yes yeah. Yeah. well the fact that we really should get that back because yes, it was a definitely. fantastically good idea and I'm not trying to big ourselves up but I was really really good concept and I'm not claiming it was my idea I can't even remember who it was I think it might have been Gareth or Victoria but um a film review with the idea of showcasing how mental health mm-hmm. is involved in mainstream media, mainstream movies and it was and it's not really just like good. newly released films yeah. you can go back in time and, and look at ways yeah, cause movies have tackled mental what was health. the what was the classic film they did yeah, it's I, a wonderful life yeah. yeah and they started showcasing and when you start looking at these things and go wow yeah it Absolutely. really does have mental health I mean I grew Batman, up obviously and my, my father had a, a shop on Shields Road in Biker remember yes. we went past there on the oh yeah you, you pointed it out to me yeah. and that used to be next to a, a big video rental store yeah and in the 80s i went through a vietnam phase as it were <laughs> because that's when all the, the the vietnam films were being released and um i like the look at platoon and so robin on. williams one was good i know that wasn't good morning vietnam, yeah, yeah great film and a lot of those films had uh, ptsd as as a yeah. core theme um absolutely and obviously since i developed the condition i kind of recognized it more now and then well we did it as i was just touching on uh is they did a, a section about was it the dark knight i think uh, one of the latest batman films oh, yeah. as they did it we did a review on early on in our in our history mm-hmm. and it really is a good segue to because obviously you know superhero films are, are the the rage right now which is pleasing for some a big geek like me and uh, one of the good things about it though and Stan Lee I've, I've watched a lot of interviews that he's done over the years and mm-hmm. he very cinematically says the reason why people have an affinity towards comic book characters is because of the fact that they essentially have a flaw and very often or not it's a very very big insecure ongoing flaw that they can't get rid of you know it's one of the reasons why I don't know if you know this but Superman uh, to begin with people really had trouble resonating with Superman because he essentially had no way of defeating him and that's why they came up with the idea of Kryptonite because yeah. they could, I, they I've been getting back into Superman because my nephew loves it yeah and we've been watching even the Donner cut do you know the Richard Donner? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been showing him that on DVD to show him how different it would hey, be. Hey, some of the stuff's good. I mean, I still like the. I mean, I know some people are really going to resent me saying this who are Batman fans, but I even like the old Adam West stuff. Like, I really yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, like, even though it's like obviously slapstick and. Well, I still camp, prefer the old Supermans till the new ones. I mean, yes. you know, I was going to ask you people go crazy with special effects, and and, yeah. and I think they go overboard. Well. I didn't like acting goes downhill because yeah you know, some people are like it's weird like if you took man of steel for example mm-hmm. um there's there's if you ask people their opinion on it they would often say that there's people who are like the second half of the film mm-hmm. and then there's people who would only like the first half i'm yeah. the first half category because i like the fact that they actually delved into why he became who he was it was supposed to be an origin story yeah. about why he became the man of steel mm-hmm. and then so and then essentially then it became about Every, any of that film that happens recently where it's like how many trains and buildings can we throw through exactly, him exactly. Um, and 45 minutes are just complete you know brain freeze and I mean I've always been handle. a big fan of retro because you can really see the chemistry between the actors where now with CGI is such a big thing yeah. it's like oh well that's that's a lower down <laughs> priority now to have chemistry between the actors and just although I, really I'm, cool I'm, special effects I'm laughing Ricky not because what you said is a very good point but 
you have to say though, an early spy, early Superman, sorry, where he's holding the helicopter up is now kind of getting a bit dated. I mean, it doesn't look as good as it used to be, you know. Well, what about when the the dam breaks at the end of Superman? You can <laughs> just tell it's like a little pokey little model. <laughs> it's, like, it's like when you, you know how how like they always wanting to reboot King Kong. You see the first one where it's clearly just a person yes. moving <laughs> yeah. <some> legs, <laughs> like a little tiny like the old model. But you know, some of that, some of the, the old ones still stand up. Remember, like Jason the Argonauts, you can tell it's like with yeah, a stop yeah. motion animation but that's still I would assume so that still holds uh, um, water for me I still think the original War, War for the Worlds which yeah. was like six, 60s I want to say I although say I, I will earlier. say I'm not a big um, fan of remakes but War of the Worlds by Spielberg that was one of my favourite did you like remakes. it? I, no, I quite like it, it got, I, I'm with you I, I don't understand why people had there were some people who had the only decent flick Tom Cruise has done <laughs> <laughs> I don't know there's been a couple but yeah I know what you mean it's like you can sort of take or, take it or leave a lot of stuff yeah, that he does yeah. but yeah no I, I liked it yeah. I, and um, Dakota Fanning who's in that who's the young girl yeah. um, who's been in a bunch she's of different great, stuff yeah. she's phenomenally good I mean she's now like Shows you how much time's passed now. I think she's of like past eighteen now. She's oh, like a gosh. young girl, but uh, well, uh, uh, an adult now. <laughs> um, but no, it was a really good remake. Oh, we got onto films there because we're just kind of excited. But yeah, before I forget to mention mm-hmm. this, because um, one of the things I want to talk about is something I've been doing because we need to talk about, I guess, the intermittent period of time where we have where we've been off the air. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I've been doing, which is mental health related is I got have you had the opportunity, especially over the last few months, and I did this over the summer as working for Northumbria University. Oh yeah. Uh, on their social work program because uh, for those that don't know which is probably a vast majority of people listening, is uh, I worked as a social worker for about four just under five years and uh, absolutely loved it. So the part of that as well as having bipolar disorder meant that I'm involved in it because I'm kind of unique in that I I can talk about it from both perspectives. I can talk about being someone who provides services and someone who uses services. Uh, So it's a unique situation. And one of the things I helped doing them with recently was interviews. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, which is interesting to talk about. I obviously can't name who's involved in interviews, so I won't. But the the process for doing that in terms of how they get onto the course for social work is they ask four questions and they only know one in the build-up to it and the third question was the thing that most fascinated me because it leads to this wider question i want to ask you and there's one particular girl i'm thinking of in this example there's a third one it says in order for them to be considered for the social work course they have they get asked so emotion uh can you describe an emotional situation you went through and how you dealt with it and supported it like how did you get support did you get friends or whatever it is and it has to be comfortable and it's within the confines of the that it, no one says who you know it doesn't go past this room and all this kind of thing so obviously i'm not going to say who this person is in order to, to keep that privacy but one of the things that fascinated me with this one particular girl is she didn't do great in the other questions when we were interviewing her mm-hmm. but one of the when it got to talking about this traumatic experience and she talked about having breast cancer Mm -hmm. and how she dealt with it Mm -hmm. and she said the number one thing that helped her through it i want to ask you directly this question is she said sense of humor yeah she said like i would go to my friends for example and say so when are you going to do the great north run and put your face my face on the front (laughs) and i was like that's and i laughed in an interview when i'm supposed to be all professional not laugh i laughed because i thought it was a very funny line and so i want to ask you because it got me sort of in a way thinking of a couple of things one she had a very working class background and as much as you don't you're not meant to have that criteria for interviewing i think like my theory and i want to know what you think is that working class people may not necessarily be academically sound 
but in regards to like social work situations they're very much like able to deal with very high emotional situations because um, they're often because they struggle in general so they build up this like sort of emotional ability to talk and mm-hmm. I'm just fascinated to know if, do you agree with that and also how important do you think sense of humour is I think there is ins- I think there is insight into that and that, that sort of segue into the interview I did with a social worker later on because one of the things he mentioned there was that if you <clears throat> if you um, analyse what happens say for example in the 80s where a lot of these sort of um, working class villages particularly the mining villages and when you when you when the mine, for example, which was the main nucleus of, the, of that sort of area, is taken out, you can see sort of the domino effect it has on on people, um, a mental state as well. Yeah. And what Mick, as, who's, who's, as you'll hear later on, would say that there's still people now who still haven't recovered from that era. Yeah, no, uh, totally. And That's a good point. Yeah, and, and, and there is something. And when you haven't really kind of like substituted in another kind of. Uh, industry or ways and means where that the the community can can depend on or lean on, then they do struggle. Uh, I think you make a good point. And going on comedy, it's actually you, it was actually very true in my case as well because when my PTSD was manifesting in my teens, I was I just went into comedy. I was into music as well, but I just went into comedy like overload where I was like taping sitcoms and I would be watching them on a regular basis, like every morning when I came back from college. I would mm-hmm. just stick a VHS on with loads of comedy that I recorded, just to maintain some sort of like, I don't know, what, I don't know, what better term for it, just like a happy level or something, just to maintain some sort of good spirit. It's the one cliche that I think makes a lot of sense is that uh, laughter really is, in a lot of cases, yeah. the best medicine. I've heard, I've heard stories of people for grief, is that just laughing about the situation mm-hmm. helps mm-hmm. them get through, it. and it's not being disrespectful or anything like that. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, right, we need to play the um, the. Uh, I don't know how to say. It. I mean, my dyslexia. I want to say, is it ag- agnorophobia? Agnorophobia. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, can you explain who the person you interviewed is, just for the benefit? Yes, people. her name is Supranita Hamakot. She uh, she's the main protagonist. I think she made she made the film as well. So this is my chat to her about how the film came about and Brilliant. how it materialised. Yeah. No, excellent. So we're going to play that now, and then we're going to obviously there'll be some adverts and stuff in between. So we'll be back uh, in the second hour, and you're listening to Mentally Sound on Spice FM. Movie that's coming out. Uh, it's called A Perfect Hunch of an Agrophobe. And uh, I'll be speaking to the director, who also plays the main protagonist, uh, Greta, and uh, we'll be chatting about this, this film and the all the avenues it explores. So, hi, Supraniti, how are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, I'm not too bad. So, yeah, I think I came across uh, this this um, project of yours through social media. Um, great title, A Perfect Hunch of an Agrophobe. Um, could you tell me how 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 the whole project film um, came from? How it started? Um, sure. Well, I just wanted to make a feature film um, and had a few ideas. And especially when you're an independent filmmaker, you you know you you've got to try and see what sort of plots will fit into your own budget and different constraints. Um, and the, the condition was that, you know, it had to be one location and it had to, you know, we, we were really particular about it as a team that, you know, it was to follow a couple of characters and be more of an in, intimate sort of a journey um, instead of trying to show many locations and many people. Um, 
So we, we decided to think about a few concepts and my own personal experience with a few people who've had issues with mental illness, I thought that really appealed to me. Yeah. Um, so Michael was the co-writer on the project. So Michael and I, we um, penned a script, um, spoke to a few actors, and that's that's how it came about, really. Filmed, and and it was, yeah, it was filmed in about a span of about four weeks. Um, and... It's, it's just out on video on demand at the moment, mm-hmm. so but it's taken quite some time. <laughs> it's been a slow process, but it's been quite enjoyable. I mean, the, the trailer is very intriguing, um, but what kind of reception have you had so far? I know that a few of the so movie magazines have said a few things already, haven't they? Yes, I mean, it's just been released in VOD, so we're keeping our fingers crossed. A few review sites have... Um, have given us very positive reviews, which is very encouraging. Um, the thing to bear in mind is a very targeted sort of um, a film. First of all, it's micro-budget. Mm. It's sort of a mumblecore style where there's a lot being spoken. Um, then again, we've got mostly Greta as a character on her own, you know, dealing with agoraphobia. So, you know, it's a sort of, sort of audience that... The target audience are people who seem to be showing interest is basically people who have dealt with mental issues, mental health issues in the past, yeah. or who know personally people who have dealt with things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the, the response has been very positive. We did a few previews a few months ago um, with the with a selected audience, and we had really really good um, response. Mm-hmm. So we're just keeping our fingers crossed now about. About the release and see how how it's received by yeah the bigger audience. Would you would you agree that the the two uh, main themes, as it were, would be um, domestic abuse and agoraphobia? Would you say they're the two main ones that you raise awareness of by this? Um, it could be. I mean, I, I think the film story such doesn't it deals with the aftermath of of abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, of, of the impact of it. So you could see it as, you know, that it causes the issue in itself. You know, it was the abuse that led to Greta being confounded to, to her own flat. Um, so obviously that, it does have big impact on people's lives. Mm-hmm. Um, but mental health, I think, is especially agoraphobia on its own. Mm-hmm. It's such a, such a vast array of so many things. It's difficult to point exactly at what point, you know, your behaviour turns into something that's away from normalcy from of the society, yeah. you know, or is it just somebody trying to deal with the aftermath of abuse? Mm-hmm. So, and I think the story approaches it from Greta's point of view. So it's basically the abuse victim who is trying to make sense of the world around her. Mm-hmm. Um, and it can be very grey, you know, nothing's really straightforward. Um Mm-hmm. And it's just piecing little by little the things around her. So the story essentially just deals with her trying to figure out, you know, the police hasn't helped her. She hasn't got the answers to who attacked her a year ago. Um, and she's just basically trying to, very is very determined and is trying to find out who attacked her, basically. Yeah. Um, so that's basically the plot. Right. And you, you mentioned that you, you knew a friend who had mental illnesses, did you refer to them in terms of references or um, 
did you look outside that? No, I, I mean, the film itself doesn't actually have any references to anyone dead or alive as a disclaimer. Right, okay. But when it, when it t- comes to actually taking inspiration uh, while writing, you know, you come across so many things in life mm-hmm. um, that could include my own personal experiences. It's just about being able to see how people deal with different things. And I think things that I've learned over the course of years definitely came together in the script Um, and the way Greta's behavior was portrayed, the way her friends deal with her in in the film, the way people react to her. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that that was a major source of um, inspiration. Yeah. And Greta, um, I mean, I myself am of Indian origin. Um, I know that mental illness is, is taboo with the Asian community as well. Is that something that you wanted to... Was that, that a particular hurdle that you wanted to clear and break the ice, as it were? Um, not particularly, no. I mean, the cast itself is very varied. That You know, mm. you, we have people from all sorts of backgrounds in the film. Um, I wasn't trying to show anything that's concerning a specific race or ethnicity. Yeah. I think mental illness is... Uh, you know, any, any sort of stumbling block with mental health, you know, th- these things are quite universal. Um, and, you know, I think research eventually will unfold a lot of things, w- which, you know, nowadays we know very well that a lot of physical ailments, disease, etc., they can be cured just with placebos. So, obviously, mind plays a huge impact in our day-to-day lives. And... Mm-hmm. And I think it's really fascinating. I think worldwide, if we just paid a bit more attention to the way we deal with mental health, yeah. um, I, I think we, we could do some breakthroughs mm-hmm. with, with with the world around us, basically. Mm-hmm. And going back to sort of domestic abuse, I think um, it's being more talked about a little bit more in the media and so on. Um how how powerful do you think within the medium of film uh, do you believe that such issues can, um, you know, can awareness like this be raised? Do you think it hits people more than perhaps maybe other forms of art? Um, domestic abuse is interesting because, you know, no, we don't really have clear stats because people refuse to talk about it, yes. really. It's... Um, you know, sometimes abuse comes from the people closest to us and we we try and justify it or we think, you know, the, the relationship we have with these people is is of more importance than, than speaking out against it. So we protect them in our own sort of sense of thinking. Yes. Um, so it's really difficult to tell. And again, there's a lot of stigma involved. Uh, you know, statistically, it's seen that women tend to suffer from abuse more than men. But that's not to say that men don't suffer from it. Mm. And that's, again, a stigma to me, you know, because yeah. there are lots of male victims of domestic abuse. And, mm. <laughs> you know, it's just, pe- it's just not seen. People don't recognize it as a problem. Um, I also think that focusing on a problem doesn't lead to a solution. We need to acknowledge it, but also start looking for, for, for solutions in the long run. So um, I think this is it's going to take some time, but it, it does involve um, awareness. 
and having the courage to, to speak. Support groups are quite nice as well because, you know, it, it helps you bond psychologically and think that, you know, it's, it is possible for me to have an objective look of my situation. Um, so really, I think a more holistic approach in the future, I hope. And I, I don't really know how this film can encourage, but I do hope it does because, you know, it is all about a person struggling with, with different things in her life. Yes. And eventually, you know, you are all you've got. And I think that's what we were trying to convey through the film. Mm. And I hope it does come across. For those out there, listeners who want to know more um, and want to see it, um, do you have uh, links and addresses or places where they can go and see it? Yes, it's available on video on demand. So if you go on vimeo.com slash on demand slash perfect hunch, you will be on the page where you can watch it Mm -hmm. for as long as you like. Um, So spread the word and and really hope that you enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And... um, Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, it's been a pleasure. So that's uh, Supraniti Hamakot, who was the main protagonist and who also uh, directed the film. And yeah, I, I thoroughly recommend it. So thank you very much for being on Mentally Sound. And uh, yeah, uh, we'd love to talk to you again at some point. So thank you very much. Thank you, Ricky. Thank, thank you. you. Sick of the same old radio sound. <sighs> Then you need Vibrant Radio. Spice up your life. Spice FM, 98.8 FM. AsianWeddingPackage.com brings you the 5K Wedding, a complete wedding package for an unbelievable £5,000. Venue, staff, properly cutlery and glassware, catering by renowned caterers, soft drinks, chair covers, table centres, wedding stage, DJ and doll drummer or photographer. Also included is full organisation management by our expert events team, so you don't have the hassle. Come as a guest, leave as a guest. The 5K Wedding, a full Asian wedding package for an unbelievable £5,000. This is a very, very special limited offer and subject to availability. Call now on 0191 6030 or log on at AsianWeddingPackage.com or search us out on Facebook, Asian Wedding Package. যদি আপনি কোনো অপরাধের শিকার হন বা শিকার হয়েছেন বলে মনে করেন তবে দেরি না করে যোগাযোগ করুন ভিকটিম ফর্স নর্থ আমরিয়াতে আমাদের বিশ্বস্ত টোল ফ্রি নাম্বার শূন্য এবং পান উন্নত পরিষেবা ও বিশ্বস্ত সহায়তা Need an electrician? Look no further. Time and Weir Electrical can offer you a certified, reliable, quality service with a three-year workmanship guarantee. Don't delay. Call Time and Weir Electrical today for a free quote. Call Amar on 07710-261-678 or Attila on 07502-225-892 or email us at info at timeandweirelectrical.co.uk. Time of Weir Electrical, bringing power to the people. It's Red Hot Radio, Spice FM 98.8 FM. Seems 
like yesterday, we used to rock the show. I lace the track, you lock the flow. So far from hanging on the block of dough. Notorious, they got to know that. Life ain't always what it seemed to be. Words can't express what you mean to me. Even though you're gone, we still a team. Through your family, I'll fulfill your dreams. In the future, can't wait to see. If you open up the gates for me, reminisce sometime. The night they took my friend. Try to black it out, but it plays again. When it's real, feeling's hard to conceal. Can't imagine all the pain I feel. Give anything to hear half your breath. I know you're still living your life after death.
Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound right here. God, I nearly fell off my chair because I forgot to put my phones on. Uh, on Spice FM, with yours truly, Mrs. Stephen Hesse and Ricky Tannen. Uh, am I saying your surname right? That was something I wanted to, yes, to yes. ask you about. Is it's it very rare that people Tamin, say it right, yeah. Because I used to say Tamin, didn't I? Yeah. Sorry. That's what I As really a lot bad. of people do. I feel really bad for that. It's so I, right. made, I made sure I got it right because, you know, right. the legend that is Ricky Tamin. I think back <laughs> in India, it's, it's, it's pronounced Tamin. All right, so okay. Depends. Depends what. You know, considering well. like we have obviously there's a, an Indian you know presence on this uh, station. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you actually speak any Indian? I don't think I've ever asked you that. Uh, yeah, a bit. Mm-hmm. Not 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 too fluently. <laughs> Sometimes I get my uh, Hindi and Punjabi mixed up, intertwined at times. But okay. Then, yeah. So how much would you you say like you're semi fluent or, or I, a little that's a good bit of describing it? Yeah. Semi fluent. Okay. Yeah. Um, because I'm 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 fascinated by it as an actual culture and language. It's like a very beautiful I'm language. It's going to be your translator. On yeah, yeah. Well, so I've got a second job. <laughs> we want to tell a quick funny story. Is that when when we were in preparation for doing the training for this? Because we obviously came and done this thing. Is um we played a jingle and it was and we were like oh just an example. It was all Indian and I was like <laughs> sitting there going it's a good jingle but I have no idea what you're saying, <laughs> uh, which is kind of funny but. Um, but yeah, and also as well, uh, which was funny, is that when we decided for music, is because we should say the music that we've been playing uh, so far um, has been just music off randomly on the uh, database, mm-hmm. and like uh, they were like, it's the only English uh, music we have on it. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of eighties, eighties slash nineties stuff we've been playing, but uh, uh, we'll bring our own stuff in in the future. We'll play some fusion at some point in the spring. Yeah. the show, yeah. Oh yeah, fusion. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna play some, uh, you know, uh, dubstep at some point. <laughs> Uh, that's really not the type of show we do. Uh, anyway, uh, but on that note, uh, this is a section that we normally do with our good friend Steve O'Driscoll, who unfortunately, because we forgot to mention, obviously, happy Good Friday to everyone who's listening. Um, thank you for joining us. And uh, because of that, and it being a bank holiday, he, I think he's away for the entire weekend. So usually our friend Steve does this, which is called Mental Health News, mm-hmm. where we basically take sections of news from mental health stories that can just be loosely based on mental health. That can be mainly about, like, you know, maybe a, a slight political uh, situation, like as in a, a lawful thing or uh, just a, a random story. It could be from anywhere in the world. And we occasionally, which we've been joking about during the break, uh, usually there's a funny story that makes me giggle uh, because it's something that sounds really ridiculous, but it actually is true. In, and uh, this is the opportunity for us to kind of, you know, I guess not poke fun, but, you know, kind of be have a sense of humor about these situations. So uh, Ricky's going to step in for Steve and just uh, throw some headlines at us. So what we usually do is kind of debate debate whatever headline comes this is up. how i first got into yeah it. yeah yeah so actually I'm that's kind a, of like stepping back in yeah my own role good segue it, because so. yeah we should mention that because uh, ricky's <clears throat> first involvement in the show was actually doing uh do you want to tell a story I'll, real yeah, quick I'll tell you what happened it was quite interesting because one of my because you know I'm, I'm quite well into my sort of politics as well yes. one of my favorite politicians uh, a guy called charles kennedy um, who was the former leader of the Liberal, De- the Liberal Democrats, he died um, from alcoholism. Mm-hmm. And I thought that alcoholism should be sort of a feature that we should talk about on the show. So um, when the previous uh, person who was doing that um, couldn't do it, I kind of ran back into the green room, went went to my sort of Twitter feed and started making notes and, um, mm-hmm. yeah, talked about Charles and a whole host of other things there and then. Yeah, because uh, was it fair to say you were a little bit like reluctant to be in like because it was a last minute decision you're involved yeah in, wasn't but it? you know so. sometimes you get that kind of uh, what would you call it like the rush rush yeah. of blood or something adrenaline and i just thought yeah go on just do it you yeah. know and and you I'm, know, pr- I'm proud you did because that's the what they call the 
you know the the, the leap of faith I guess, I guess of, the, yeah. of, of just doing it and and uh, you know on, on social media I'm always putting out um, news regarding sort of mental health related stuff. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it was just made sense. No, no, totally. Nature. I would, I would pat your, I would totally, <coughs> um, you know, reiterate that point that in terms of everyone involved in this show, mm-hmm. uh, Ricky's really on the nose in terms of like social media related stuff. So it made a great deal of sense. And, Steve, and in fairness, Steve O'Driscoll, through working at North oh, Cumbria, he, he does, Uni, it really well, he does well, really yeah. well. Yeah. No, I'm not saying he doesn't, but um, you know, <laughs> you were doing that, and then obviously when you became co-host, we decided Steve was the perfect person to replace. And so, so hopefully, very natural for him, wasn't yes. It? So hopefully, in the future, he will be involved. But that was just a quick uh, segue into how uh, Ricky got involved. Obviously, being talking about mental health, mentally sound in terms of how it came to be. So yeah, so fire away, Mr. Ricky, with headlines of mental health news. We should have a jingle. Maybe maybe Spice FM will be kind enough. Should we do like some sort of like high tech jingle the news jingle? Yeah. Hello, it's mental health news <laughs> <laughs> with Stephen and Ricky. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just excited. Go on. That, that's gonna stay in my for the rest of the day now you really yeah i can improvise <laughs> okay so yeah um serious matters to start with i mean i think um, uh, most if not all pe- people know that there is a currently a sort of a care crisis going on at the moment you know and uh, austerity and things so mm-hmm. it's been a popular feature within political news as well yes and there was some sad sort of stats uh, recently released that apparently um that care worker care working suicides have actually gone up in england and uh, it's it's more prominent within female care workers, especially, and um, it's it's happening more within that profession than any other in terms of like yeah. female workers. So um, wow, that's interesting. There's been a sharp, quite well, say, well, it's a steady rise in the last fifteen years. These were statistics released by the ONS, which is the Office of National Statistics. Yes. So, um, I mean, I've. I've talked a lot about. Um, I know. I know. I know people who are, who are in the the care industry. It's a very very challenging industry to to start with, and I suppose when an industry like that is is suffering cuts, mm. setbacks, it's it's going to have a serious knock on effect. Um, I can talk as being. I was going to ask you. Yeah. Oh, totally. Um, obviously, too many to go into with the you know, limited mm. time, but. Um, what I will say, because this goes back, segues back to me talking about my work at Northumbria Uni right now, mm-hmm. um, is what you might find an interesting segue to what you just said. Yeah. Um, out of all the interviews I did, I did two days, and it was over six, seven days, I think, the whole interview process. Mm-hmm. Um, out of all the interviews I did, which was about, I don't know, I'd like to say maybe 30, 30 people, okay. about, I only interviewed, no, I don't even think I interviewed, I'd, all of them were women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it leads to the wider point of not only is the situation with care workers that you said really difficult, mm-hmm. um, there's a real difficulty right now in convincing men to become workers. And yes. um, there's a really good friend of mine whose husband works as a social worker. Mm-hmm. Um, she might even be listening to this, I don't know. But um, is uh, he was telling me that he has situations which I have dealt I dealt with as a social worker, where if you deal with someone of an older generation. And uh, particularly an older an older lady, they are sometimes reluctant to be helped by a man, or a man being helped by another man is just as difficult, and okay. so they feel. Um, well, I was about to ask you what do you think the situation is regarding men's reluctance to be involved, and uh, sort of answered it in it, a way. There, well, in a sense, yeah, it, <clears throat> you're right. It's much more complicated than just that. It's mm-hmm. it's the fear, and also, I honestly think, as sad as this is being in the 21st century, I still think there is a stigma of it's like. 
you know, they're embarrassing to be involved in caring with people yeah. because there's this stereotype that men shouldn't be caring for people. It should be a woman's job and all this kind of stereotypical nonsense because um, it is basically the criteria of just like the interviews I did at Ophrumbia Uni. It's whether you're qualified in an emotional capacity to deal with what goes on. What I would like to say is a really quick segue is I think the the problem in a practical sense for social work as that I see is that when budgets cuts happens, which you just touched on, mm-hmm. um, it very often leads to them not being um, looked after in yeah. terms of emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. To give you an example, like say for argument's sake, a, a young girl comes and says, I have a drug issue mm-hmm. and explains to a social worker, I have this problem. And you do the processes that you need to do to, to tell the right people and get them the help they need. The problem then become what's known in social work is you should get sort of you know um and and a debrief mm-hmm. as in it's kind of the a debrief is is meant to be there so you process what's happened because the worst thing a social worker can do is is to hang on to that baggage mm-hmm. and take it home mm-hmm. and don't you know it's almost like therapy in that you yeah. de-stress the situation by talking to your co-worker and say like this is what's happened wow that was really difficult but I'm, i did the right things and unfortunately that step through time or maybe money or just mm. and unfortunately it's it's hard it's horrible to say this but incompetence is that people just think that's not as someone, important someone i used to know was um, was was a care worker and and she sadly got got punched in the face and that was wow. so traumatic for her that she ended yeah. up switching career so oh, you well. can imagine people trapped in that environment where they can't switch then then the effects of that is going to be more in a more positive light though just to end this point is um there is much more um they were they were inundated with people wanting to be on the social worst course for this mm-hmm. for next year mm-hmm. so it's not like it's not like people don't want to do it but what i kept saying to people who were interviewing a lot of them were going i want to work with children mm-hmm. and i'm going social work is not just <laughs> it's not just yeah. limited to children it is you know you could work with vulnerable people disabled people Elderly. young young offenders and um, i've worked with in my four and a half years, I worked with I worked with young offenders. I worked with you know um, ex prison people. I worked with disabled people. I worked with you know uh, um, I don't know underprivileged people, homeless people. Um, the group. So I often said to them, you don't want to go into social work with all your hopes based on going into one field because the limited amount of work just be grateful I you're mean, in vulnerable, the system in vulnerable, general the, the encatchment of vulnerable vulnerable people isn't just one yes exactly people. it's a whole yeah. range yeah so yeah have you got any quick uh, headlines because we're pressed Another for quick, time yeah just uh, mental health in schools um an interesting poll was taken out by the um well, Bernardo's were part of this as well. You worked with Bernardo's, didn't you? Yeah, a little bit. Oh. Uh, and sh- the show Mind Mind Foundation, they found out that um, forty. Well, firstly, forty five percent of the parents polled fe- feel that their the the, ch- the the schools are failing to look after their own children's mental health because they could see that situation coming home. So it could be anything ranging from bullying to um, stress, exams, that kind of thing, which is which is topical at the moment. Um, but as much as seventy nine percent think that mental health should be taught as a subject in absolutely schools. and there's a petition going around which i've been sharing called it affects me yeah which, which i think um, i've heard is, of that yeah. doing that same yes 
you know, getting mental health taught in schools, as right. much as it is. With it should be, ex- yes, exactly. That's what I was just about to say. It should be treated exactly the same importance as sex education. Absolutely. Virtually the same. It's, 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 it's the same. As you said, the basic difference is it's mental versus physical. That's literally it. I mean, not that there's emotional consequences, for, obviously, with sex involved, but... Yeah, I mean, my PTSD was, was happening in sixth form and in college, when I would have loved to have that help around then, and I would like. I would uh, do you have any? Do you have a funny, one last any one funny headline? Funny well, funny. it's not not quite funny, but I think it's a bit more sort of light-hearted in the sense we talked about this previous on a previous news. Do you remember the semicolon tattoos? Yeah, yeah. Do you know the uh, actress uh, Selena Gomez? She's um, uh, starring in the Thirteen Reasons Why on Netflix. Do you know that? Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah, it's dealing with suicide, and yeah, <clears throat> and um, Selena and her co-hosts have got that tat- very tattoo, and they, they were sporting it on Instagram in yeah. solidarity with the mental health community. So, mm. um, good um, for them. Yeah, I'm I'm glad that more stuff like that's coming out in mainstream media. They seem less afraid of doing that now. And they say they say as a uh, as a sort of a climax headline, say thanks for getting the message of our show. And I need to watch Great. that show. That you know, no, definitely. How many shows? Remind me when we come back, then, because I've got a funny joke that Carrie Fisher said, the late great Carrie yeah. Fisher said about bipolar disorder, which I want to share because it made me giggle like an idiot. Um, so I will explain that joke when we come back in the studio. But what we're going to play now is Emma Kenny Part Two. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Part Two of your interview with Emma Kenny, the psychologist, wasn't she? Um, and it's great because she talks about very similar to what we just talked about. Um, and and uh, obviously as we mentioned about um domestic abuse, which was on the um agoraphobia how is that how you say it? um but also um in terms of how mental health affected her dad which i really enjoyed listening to so hope you guys enjoy that this is part two of emma kenny and you're listening to mentally sound right here on spice fm um slightly patronized in a way but in your field of study does one have to be thick-skinned in a way not to allow one it to affect you as much yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting. I always do the compassion fatigue scale with myself. I do the burnout scale regularly. Yeah. It always comes back the same. I have a real high enjoyment of my job and a real low burnout. I just don't really take it on. Mm. And part of that, I think, is because, like you said, I'm quite hard-faced to some degrees. But I think the way that that is dealt with mentally for me is I feel that I'm always working with hope. Mm. that there's always hope when you're working with a human being so even in the darkest and blackest of times there always seems to be this thread of light running through and it's the one thing that consistently maintains me and I've been really privileged because you know my work has been with really challenged communities and really challenging communities you know in gang-stricken areas you know working with gang, gang dissemination working with young people who are heavily offending working with victims of pretty traumatic abuse Mm. and because of that these people with their lives and their backgrounds and their mental health issues and their altogether not so savoury experience of being a human they're still trying even when they're getting it wrong they're trying and I think because of that I've always had this belief well if I'm fed well and I've got a supportive family and Mm. I've got education I've got all these things that I the grace of God was born in the right postcode to the right parents mm-hmm. and I can look at these people who are without any of that but they're still trying that that gives me a real inspiration yeah. I think that gives me the structure and strength to carry on going and also feel like it's a complete honor which it always is could I you're also a psycholo- psychological therapist I am is that something you practice in your clinic yes. in Manchester yes can you so tell I us a bit a- more about that please 
So I have, a, I have a clinic in Manchester. I have a company as well. So I have a company called MakeYourSwitch.co.uk, which is kind of a lifestyle, fitness, health, because I'm hugely about people looking after their physical and mental well-being. So it's all very mind-body connection. Yeah. So Make Your Switch is something that I run with a group of very trusted colleagues who I've employed for a while. And that's all about positive mental health. It's all about eating well, exercising well. So that's one element of my work. And then in the evenings, I do private therapy and mm. or pro bono therapy if people are referred and obviously haven't got the financial opportunity to kind of work with me on a private level. I always, up until a couple of years ago, used to work a few days running a mental health system of a large college. Um, I can't leave any of that work behind because I don't think I would be who I like very much unless I was doing that work. Mm-hmm. So in Manchester, I've got a lovely, very old building that people come and visit in the evenings to talk about whatever issues they have. I tend to be solution-focused, mm-hmm. so as opposed to concentrating on problems much more about the exclusions to those problems you know when it doesn't happen mm-hmm. you know what's going on when it's not bad so that we can volumize and deal with that I'm heavily involved I love family therapy um and I love therapy with couples so any kind of therapy that involves dealing with their so many there's so many strings to your bow um where'd you get the time it's amazing I yeah I mean I think that you know what you know that old saying find something that you love and you'll never work a day in your life yeah think that's probably right. what I've managed to do. And yeah. ironically, until about, you know, I lecture quite a lot in things like mindfulness, relaxation, and all of those associated areas. Work-life balance, ironically. I always laugh when I'm lecturing on work-life balance because I think I probably haven't really got any. But <laughs> what I think's great is the fact that until about, mm, you know, six, seven years ago, I used to tell people to take risks all the time. You know, that was a big thing in my therapy. You know, what can we do to push you out of your comfort zone? You know, even people in the most difficult of circumstances, you know, find that little goal, find that little bit of aspiration. Yeah. Don't listen to that negative voice that's been there and that all those horrible people in your life have said, you know, think about a solution to those issues. When I was doing that, I always used to think, I'm not doing what I really am telling these people to do. So the reason I don't run the mental health um, side of the college that I used to work with and the reason I just kind of went and set up my own company was that I thought, you know what, you have to practice what you preach. So yes, now I work ridiculous hours a week, Mm. but I never think I'm working. Mm. So I think that that's probably the key to a a really happy career. (laughs) A really happy career. Mm. Yeah, do what you love. Now you uh, you recently wrote a, a moving piece about your dad, who you call your hero. It was on uh, your website. I read it on the Time to, Time to Change um, website. Yes. Yes. You talked about his breakdown and his uh, subsequent sectioning, um, yes. and how being an inpatient wasn't the right environment for him. Can you tell tell listeners um, why you felt you needed to tell about about his experience and your experience dealing with it? So it's funny, really, because my dad's a really private person. Yeah. So I was like, Dad, I'm writing about you. I'm yeah. going to expose your darkest secret. It was just like, that's cool, that's fine. You know, he was actually really, really good and could see that, you know, it had affected me. The thing about my story with my dad mm-hmm. is that I was the 
I've always been, you know, don't get me wrong, when I was younger, I mean, I had, you know, like I said, I was involved in the psychological services, etc. So I've seen firsthand the impact that you go through when you're involved as an outpatient, for example, you know, what happens there and the lengthy process and then the individual you're sent to see and it doesn't always really make you connect. And to be honest, it's a bit of a waste of time. That had already happened for me. So when my father got really ill and obviously my dad tried to kill himself, Mm -hmm. um, he, and it was such a quick decline in a couple of months, he went from being, you know, perfectly functioning to very, very well. When we got to the hospital, I remember just thinking this sense of relief, you know, that my dad was going to get the right help, that my dad was going to be taken off my hands to a degree because I'd been working with him. I'd moved home. I'd left where I, where I used to live. I'd given him my notice to my landlord and I'd just come home to be with my dad and my mum and, and uh, my brother. And I kind of wanted somebody to just go, we're going to make this okay. We're going to take this off you. We're going to make this okay. And even though I had a distrust in the services at, at hand in those days, I kind of thought to myself, no, I'm going to believe this is okay. He became an impatient, and it was absolutely dreadful. Yeah. And it was devastating because of the fact that, firstly, I thought he was going to go in and get the help he needed, and secondly, I didn't think he was going to get worse because of it. And, of course, he went in. I, I, they were just, what, they were lost souls. They were just less than lost souls wandering around. I ended up going in every day. I'd end up sitting with people just to talk with them. I ended up saying, saying to the, the staff, they know, do you not want to set up some kind of mentoring project so that you can deal with these people who are already struggling and then maybe create some kind of aftercare service. And I just think that the staff there were either very undertrained mm-hmm. or we just got really a lot of uncompassionate people. You know, I don't know which one it was, but personally... My dad went from bad to much worse, and I was very nice in the piece, so I didn't want to be too negative at the time to change, because, you know, they, they obviously work with lots of these agencies and the NHS, yeah. but I thought it was awful, and um, I, when I had to get him discharged, I can still remember, because obviously, as you know, the statement in process is, it's a legal process, and, and then when you want to get them out, you have to be allowed to get mm-hmm. them out. It's not as simple as just walking in and saying, right, I'm discharging my dad, that wasn't going to happen, and we walked into the room after I'd kicked up a big fuss and said that they didn't want to take me on mm-hmm. and that unless they wanted it in the newspapers, um, how my dad had been treated, that I suggest they get the panel sorted ASAP. And we walked into this room. My father could hardly function at this point. He was absolutely broken at this point. And we walked in and there were seven people behind a desk. And I can remember saying to them, I really hope the job that I've come in to be interviewed for has got a good wage if there's all these people interviewing me. And they kind of laughed nervously. And I said, no, I said, my father's a vulnerable person who should be on his own. I actually gone in with him. I wasn't meant to. I said, how on earth would he ever get out with this situation? Mm -hmm. Anyway, consequently, the letter's out. And time went on and he was fine. But, yeah, I don't want to sound too negative. I know there's some brilliant people in the NHS, there's some brilliant clinical psychologists that I personally know who are fabulous and are breaking new ground. But I just think sometimes practitioners haven't a clue how to talk to people. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was a very moving piece, and uh, your father's doing fine now, as great. I understand, yeah? Yeah, it's great. Look, he never went back to work. Yeah. He away. You had to go to his employers to, to retire him, is that right? Yeah, I did. And, yeah. It, and it was fine, you know. It was hard work in the fact that they thought, I think they thought I was just a bit crazy because they'd known Don a few weeks earlier, a few months earlier, sorry, and he'd been perfectly functioning. And, of course, over that period, it had been quite a, a steep decline yeah. and they couldn't get their head around it. They thought I was kind of trying, I think, to get him retired early for money. Yeah. Um, 
and having that conversation and having to kind of confront them and also having to kind of be really brave because I was younger and I didn't necessarily know what I was doing but just knowing stoically that my father needed it mm-hmm. and obviously all the while thinking god what was my dad going to do after I told his work how was he going to feel when I told him he wasn't going back to work and um ironically when I told him he wasn't going back to work I think that absolutely kicked his recovery into progress because I think the stress had been so hideous that yeah. it had caused psychotic breakdown. I mean, I think that people don't understand that as well. You know, we talk about mental health, that person's a schizophrenic, that person's got personal, you know, that person's got this. And actually, you know, many of us go through one period of being mentally unwell. Yeah. But because we can't necessarily recognise that, because we haven't got the label, we haven't been taught. We kind of really struggle with even talking about it. And I think my dad was that example. You know, he just he just struggled intensely with telling us that he was unwell. And by the time he did, he was, you know, seriously unwell. So we did get a lot of stigma as far as people not wanting to believe that he was really poorly. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, when you're mentally unwell, you don't want to believe you're really poorly, yeah. you know. But to, to, from my experience of working with people who've got, you know, mental illness of varying types mm-hmm. is that, they already feel like they don't deserve very much. So they're not expecting anybody to notice if that makes sense. And the world does a really good job of doing that, of just ignoring it. Yeah. Thank you very much. Uh, if you want to tell our listeners where they can find you, or you've got a social yes. media presence and website and you stuff. You can get me um, or uk. They're both my websites. Fantastic. Well, I, I, I thank you once again. I can't thank you enough for agreeing to do this. So, um... Many thanks, and yeah, I, I'll, I'll look forward to the time we get to talk to, talk again. Anytime. So I hope you we take can. Care now. Thanks, Emma. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Sick of the same old radio sound? <sighs> then you need vibrant radio. Spice up your life. Spice FM, ninety-eight point eight FM. Welcome to your community announcement answer machine. To broadcast your community announcement on Spice FM free of charge, call 0191273988. Select option 3 and record your message. No more messages. Your only Bollywood station in Newcastle. Spice FM 98.8 FM. Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound here on Spice FM on New Home. Welcome thank you so much for listening uh, if this is your first time which most likely it will be and a huge thank you if you've been listening throughout the show one of the things that we forgot to mention to your good selves is the contact details obviously you can contact Spice FM at studio at spicefm.co.uk is the email address and we'll obviously because this is our pilot episode we were just discussing during the break about uh, using anyone wants to ring in or whatever we're not doing this on the pilot episode and this is something we're going to have to discuss in future episodes but the idea uh, is we will do that at some point so that's the reason I haven't been uh, mentioning the, the phone number because we're sort of figuring out how best to do that and yes. so give us a, give us till next uh, show and we, we can uh, figure out some sort of system um, but what we do want to say is our Twitter handles um, because we obviously being a show who's been around for about a year and a half, year and a half yeah. uh, something like that so it's at underscore mentally sound is our Twitter mm-hmm. and our personal Twitters for Ricky is at vivid Ricky yeah. and that's V-I-V-I-D R-I-C-K-Y right, that's right and I am at geek underscore apocalypse uh, which you did apocalypse I'm sure people just 
Google it if you don't know how to spell it. Uh, and uh, that's the name of my uh, podcast that I do uh, and various other things, so you can find information on that if you do so. So if you want to in, um, tw- tweet us individually, please do, or yeah, Twitter the at underscore mentally sound. We are not sure who's running that right now, so it might be worth... Uh, SpiceFM or at SpiceFM. Yes. That's there. Twitter, yes, and also if you want to go on the website, uh, which is uh, www.spicefm.co.uk, where you can fa- listen, Facebook as well, and yeah. Facebook and all yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, because we want to obviously, uh, we're now in collaboration with Spice. We want to let people know. Um, so anyway, so we've got a little few minutes because we're going to play another pre-record of a social work interview, which is uh, actually kind of really only a part one because it was it's a good interview. So our plan is we might play the unedited version in the future, but this mm-hmm. is kind of a condensed version. Mm-hmm. Um. But uh, one of the things we wanted to say is obviously that information. Is there anything I haven't brought up before? Because we're going to get a chance to talk at the end. Um, but is there anything we didn't bring up? I think everything's been covered. Mm-hmm. Isn't it? I mean, are you excited moving forward to doing this on Spice? Oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm buzzing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I said I haven't to, stopped smiling. Do you remember the, the email I sent around knowing that we had the chance on Spice? Yes. And I, the first words I mentioned was how frustrated to be not being involved and then it was like hallelujah <laughs> we're, we're back and we found somewhere and who are very accommodating and, and no i must I, I really miss this it's no i must say in the studio is really excellent it's nice mm-hmm. and nice and you know it does it does the job and it's got some really amazing equipment i mean uh ricky will laugh when i say this that i've been just giddy by the fact that i have multi-channels here because yeah. <laughs> in the last studio we had one and if that didn't work it was like sort of we had to you know learn wit- yeah. witchcraft and wizardry to uh to to get the, some of the shows out some of the time but but we just quickly pay tribute to amit as well who's yes very kind of showed us the ropes and uh, who's yeah. sitting next to me right now who's showed me the ropes as it were because uh, it's been eight months since we've been in the radio show yeah. um, so I'm a little bit rusty but I've, I think I've managed how to do it so I apologise if you heard me uh, talking during some of the pre-records because I keep <laughs> forgetting to put the mics down but there you go so I mentioned the joke Carrie Fisher did oh, this yeah. may die a slow death uh, <laughs> this, this joke now that I've uh, phrased it but I watched these interviews because obviously the late great Carrie Fisher um, was on the Craig Ferguson show and she made this laugh about the bi- bipolar disorder so I'll try and explain it how long ago was, she, was, was that show when she was on uh, two good question I think two years ago because he right, ended okay. believe it or not he ended in December 2014 so he's been off the was air for now three years Force Awakens at the time or something she was uh, one of the time and also her book Shock Therapy okay shock therapy I want to say maybe I'm wrong on that but anyway I'll tell it real quick and then we're going to play this social work thing so it's it's quite a quick joke she goes uh, she turns it very deadpan serious to Craig Ferguson and goes um, you know what um, I've been invited to a bipolar convention <laughs> And she goes, and he goes, really? And she goes, yeah, it takes place in two separate buildings. <laughs> <laughs> and she goes, you know what's really sad, though? She goes, what? He goes, because people are so manic is that they never get a chance to talk because they keep changing buildings. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> keep interacting with you. It's the worst convention in the world. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he like looks like, are you being serious? Like, no, of course I'm not being serious. <laughs> Just a joke, but it's a great joke. I mean, like, I, I, I as someone who has brought up, see, see, this is my point about sense of humour. Fantastic joke. Yeah. Um, and I totally got it and I was just giggling like an idiot but anyway that's just my quick bipolar joke <laughs> but anyway so um, the social work which is a friend of yours yeah do you want to quickly explain that a very good friend of mine Mick Bowman who I used to um, work with way back when back in the day um, yeah he, he is he's a social worker it's one of the very many things he does um, a string to his uh, bow which carries many different um, uh, good deeds that he does so yeah he tells me about his experience and what I mentioned before about him you know working in sort of all mining areas and and seeing people there how how things still affect people even to this day 
of, of events that took place, you know, 30, mm-hmm. 30 odd years ago. So yes, yes he, he very he gives a very uh, vivid account of that and, and how he got into the work. So cool. Enjoy. So we're going to play that now and uh, we'll be back in the studio to wrap things up in about 10 minutes time. So enjoy. Hello, you're listening to Mentally Sound Radio. Um, I'm delighted to say that on this pre-recorded piece, uh, I'm interviewing a, a good friend of mine. Goes by the name of Mick Bowman, who's a counsellor in the East End. Is that right? Uh, no, it's actually in Heaton. Heaton. Yeah, but sort of. It's, it's in Newcastle East. Yeah, right. I was regarded as Heaton as the East End. Yeah. All right. Okay. Um, but yeah, me and Mick go uh, back quite, quite, quite a bit. We used we to sort of leaflet together and. Uh, yeah. Got at unearthly hours, didn't we? Yes, sometimes yes, on, uh, that's on a, right, yes. I think I remember our fond memories, particularly on Sundays when we used to sort of you know, leaflet in the West End and other places where a lot of the houses used to have the Sunday roast on. We, used to, right, we yeah. used to think, what the hell are we doing now? Uh, <laughs> that's doing anti anti racist stuff, wasn't anti BNP? That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Reason I'm, one of the reasons I'm talking to Mick is because uh, recently with uh, Mental Health Awareness Week, he um, was able to put on a what was it? Was it was it like a, a conference thing, or was well, it, it was like... a program of events yeah. uh, at different venues in mm. different groups over the period of, of a week? So it was mm. a, a range of events, uh, Ricky. And uh, it culminated. Uh, was it St Gabriel's Church in? Is that right? right? Yeah. Right. So how did that go? There was I saw, I saw some pictures online. There was a yeah, good few it, groups. To it was them. good. Um, I mean, it's the first time we've ever tried anything like this, certainly mm. at award level. So we really didn't know what would mm-hmm. work. Um, but the idea of the event on, you've just mentioned mm-hmm. on the 21st of May, was a bit of a sort of showcase of event yeah. really for different mental health groups in the in the independent sort of sector, as well as the sort of statutory sector, mm-hmm. to come, have uh, information, leaflets, interact with members of the public from the local community, mm-hmm. uh, just to let people know what was available, you know, in terms of... Um, so it's so, so like a signposting event as well. Yeah, anyway. yes, it's yes. kind of similar thing I'm hoping to do yeah. in the West End, yes. which I'm sure we'll, we'll yeah. talk about it yeah. uh, a lot more afterwards. Yes. Um, but you're, 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 of course, you're also a social worker. Um, yeah. I was a bit surprised before that you actually still do it, because um, yeah. I thought you were sort of full-time elsewhere. But um, for those out there, listeners who aren't exactly sure what social work involves, what 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 mean what it means to be a social worker, how would you define it? Well, I work, and I always since I qualified as a social worker, which is oh, it's over thirty years ago now. I've always worked with people with mental health problems, mm-hmm. uh, usually in uh, community sort of settings. That's with mm-hmm. a community mental health team. And I suppose, in essence, what we're about is uh, trying to to help people to to improve their, their mental health, mm-hmm. uh, to improve their independence, mm-hmm. to maintain their independence so they continue to live uh, in the community, mm-hmm. uh, maybe with support, mm-hmm. uh, but to have access to a range of resources uh, which people, you know, which all, we all sort of need yeah. in order to uh, to have social, a social life, mm-hmm. maybe a work life, an education sort mm-hmm. of life. So it's about helping to sort of uh, maintain people mm-hmm. uh, outside of hospital, Mm-hmm. And to promote uh, their independence. Right. And what sort of groups were you uh, working with? Were you working with sort of local um, trusts and things, or was it, was it a combined a team effort sort of Yeah, approach, I or? mean, I've always worked in uh, what we call the statutory sector, which mm-hmm. is like the state-provided sector, okay. um, through uh, uh, local authorities. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, presently and for the past 10 years, I've been employed by Northumberland County mm-hmm. Council, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm working with a mental health social care team, mm-hmm. and we work. I work alongside NHS colleagues mm-hmm. who are employed by Somebody Healthcare Trust. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're integrated in mm-hmm. that sort of mm-hmm. sense, both healthcare health mm-hmm. colleagues and uh, social care colleagues. Mm-hmm. Um, so always working in the statutory sort of sector, but we do work closely with independent sector mm-hmm. organisations who we refer people mm-hmm. to who rely on to provide a range of services. Mm-hmm. So, were you trained yourself to look out for particular problems amongst sort of vulnerable families, or were you assigned various uh, individuals? Well, I did the, the, the when, I, when I trained, which was in 1981-82. Uh, it was called the Certificate of Qualification of Social Work, mm-hmm. um, which was a one-year postgraduate course after you'd done it. An initial social sciences mm-hmm. type degree, so that sort of training was really was what's called generic, which was about mm-hmm. equipping you with the skills of assessment and okay. monitoring and reviewing, um, to enable you to work with with, with any any client group. Mm-hmm. But I, I had an interest in commitment to working with people with mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I've got a family member who's got a, a severe mm-hmm. and enduring mental health problem. Mm-hmm. So I've always worked. I've mm-hmm. always chosen to work within mental health mm-hmm. within mental health mm-hmm. settings. Mm-hmm. And amongst the, the vulnerable people that you sought after, was it was it did a certain mental health condition was above everything else, or um, was it fairly I across the plane? Just because range of the, the nature of the service that I work in, it, we, we, we are primarily for people with the more severe mm. and enduring types of mental mm. health problems. So we wouldn't have people who had a more mild to moderate yeah. type of depressive mm. illness or mild to moderate anxiety. Mm. Um, so it would be people with a more severe type of mental illness, and that might be a, like a recurrent and severe depressive illness or anxiety, but also people with like a, with, with a psychotic illness, mm-hmm. whether that could be a, a schizophrenic mm-hmm. illness or bipolar, mm-hmm. people with personality disorders, mm-hmm. and usually people where there's, there was an element of sort of risks mm-hmm. as well sort of associated mm-hmm. with, with so people who tended to need the services a lot more. Yeah, very, very much yeah. so. Like uh, people who maybe needed services on a on a, on a longer term basis as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, very interesting. Um, now, one thing I particularly we were talking about us leafleting together and yes. to 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 regain to keep our motivation going along. We'd often sort of tell each other. Stories and so on, didn't yes. we? On, yeah. Especially on yeah. cold winter days. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember quite particularly the uh, one particular element to your work, which you you, you told me was that. Um, am I right that in you, you worked along in pit villages, especially where yes. you? Yeah. Now we all know what happened back in the eighties, yes. and yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, when you take a, a nucleus out of a community, yes. be it a coal mine or whatever, yes. the the ripple effects go it's sort of huge. beyond. Yeah. So. What were the impact that you saw back then? And well, well, as you said, yeah, I work in uh, uh, for the past ten years in uh, southeast Northumberland, which mm-hmm. is one of the main coal field areas mm-hmm. in, in in the country, and an area which is absolutely devastated by mm-hmm. the um, by the closure of the of the mines. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one closed in the I think it was about that was Ellington, probably about mm-hmm. 10, ten years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, most of them by the ne- by the end of the 1980s had closed, alongside any other sort of heavy industry that was there as well. Mm. Now, those sort of industries, although they were dangerous industries, um, difficult working conditions, mm. which still have a legacy of, mm. of uh, industrial illness associated mm. with them, they did provide a, an identity to people. They mm. provided good quali- good 
good quality jobs in mm. the sense that they were secure, mm. they were long term, and they reasonably sort of. Well, it gave the community an identity. And it gave the community an identity, yeah. something around which mm. the people developed a sense of solidarity mm-hmm. and a sense mm-hmm. of purpose. And there was all things around that. There was educational establishments, mm-hmm. there was cultural arts establishments. Mm-hmm. You know, the the the, 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 minor, the, the pit bands, colliery bands, yeah. and yeah. and all that sort of thing. Um, so when that, go, when, that, when that was removed and it was removed without anything else being put in to mm-hmm. take its place the heart of the community had gone Absolutely. and the reasons which gave it its solidarity and cohesion had yeah. gone as well so the legacy of that has been a number of sort of things has been um, often significant problems with substance misuse, alcohol mm-hmm. misuse mm-hmm. Uh, breakdown in social cohesion mm-hmm. problems with antisocial behaviour mm-hmm. and then also a legacy of uh, as well as the physical Illnesses, you know, injury associated with with heavy industries mm-hmm. such as mining. Uh, there's also been a legacy, a legacy of uh, mental health problems arising from mm-hmm. the breakdown in communities, mm-hmm. and the undermining of people's self-esteem through mm-hmm. not having work. So you see, you know, you'll see high incidences of um, uh, depression, mm-hmm. anxiety, uh, also maybe alcohol misuse. Alcoholism, yeah. Yeah. Um, so those communities have really, have really mm. suffered and are continuing to suffer mm. in many ways. It's like never really recovered in a lot of No, it's not really, no. I mean, you know, there has been efforts put in by, by, by the communities themselves mm. to, to try and take control and to try and uh, re- regain a mm. sense of cohesion and a sense of solidarity. And they've been partially successful, you know, and they, they are, in many ways they're, they're quite resilient communities. Mm. But I think just the structural problems which they've had to deal with have been, have been sort of huge. Brilliant. Um, we'll, we'll have to end it there. All I can right. say is thank you very much, Mick, yeah. for your time. You're very welcome, Ricky. It's, it's been a pleasure to catch up. Yeah. yeah. yeah thank you very Hopefully, much. Hopefully, uh, we'll work me. together yeah. more in the. Sure, yeah. entertain, educate, and enlighten. Text us on 8039 or email us at studio at Hello everybody, welcome back to Mentally Sound right here on Spice FM. This is of course Mr. Stephen Hesse and Ricky Thamen here to wrap up the show. Have you enjoyed it, Mr. Ricky? I've had a whale of a time. (laughs) (laughs) There's no whales here, there's no water actually here. Give it time. (laughs) Yes, give it time. Once we've done our... When the floods floods are (laughs) are upon us. And once we've done our own decorations of the studio, um, you'll find no, mm-hmm. um, no. Seriously, it's been really fun, hasn't it? I, it's I, as as we were talking during the the pre-record, it's absolutely flown by. Like it's just been super super fast, but really enjoyed it. And like we say this, uh, like we said right at the beginning, this is a pilot episode, so we're really just uh, learning the ropes again, basically. Um, our plan is for future episodes is we're going to have live guests. That was what our main rota was in the last mm-hmm. shows that we did, and uh, we were talking about obviously with the phone ability to use the phone is that there's a potential for us to get you know potential you know people from uh you know london maybe or something like that um who can't you know because we obviously don't have a budget to get people to travel down and cover that cost or anything so having a phone really changes things so we're really excited mm-hmm. to do that um but yeah so in terms of um in, in terms of the show is there anything you want to bring up that we haven't like was there any headlines that you wanted to say that you never got around to or was did no, you do that, that was the main three really okay um so, yeah. I think so um it, oh yeah we should mention about the fact that uh we uh, I don't know whether we hinted at this before but we won a couple of awards and off well one award and then we got that famous story. Um why don't you quickly tell I'll us try and give the brief version. You, so you and the Silverstone <laughs> yeah. Silverstone Chronicles. Silverstone Chronicles, yeah. <laughs> so basically right ladies and gentlemen this story was hilarious. Uh is there was a situation where in the, towards the end of our run we got nominated for a, a 
uh, what was it, a service user award, wasn't it, or some, something well, like that? Well, that. That, that was that was the first which we won. Yes, that was when our, our oh yeah, PFS, a few of us yeah. went down to, over to Preston, Preston. and yeah. picked up that award, and that yes. was fantastic. That makes sense. Um, so yeah, the other one we got told we won another one. Yeah, so this is the idea. We got told. Uh, because we weren't involved in the emails and there was a bunch of team behind it who were working here is that we got a um, a, a situation where they, they emailed us and I got forwarded this email saying look we shouldn't be saying this but we're going to give you this award so we need someone to come and take the award because we don't want to go do the classic like Oscar thing of and the Oscar goes to and he's not here um, uh, someone else <laughs> takes it so they really didn't want that situation to happen so it led to um, us ended up saying and so they asked me and so the people the charities that were involved in this said rang me up and said Stephen would you go and represent Medley Sound because um, I work freelance some of the time so I have, I'm fortunate in that I'm in control of my hours so if they gave me enough notice I could go so this was like two in two weeks time after they told me so I was like great let's do that so I go down to Silverstone Circuit which is what uh, Ricky just said and um, which is really good because I've always wanted to go I'm not essentially like a Formula 1 fan but you know it's a famous racetrack and so we got to go on the track and you actually looked at some opportunity to talk to people and yes. you, you did some box a couple of box pops yes well I actually talked to the guy who was one of the judges who nominated us and he as was you he remember the guy the NHS, wasn't he? no I, I, I may have been actually I, I, I can't quite remember what he did but yeah. I know what no the girl the girl was from NHS okay. who I talked to who was there on behalf of NHS England right. to basically get more people younger generations to talk on social media and mm-hmm. um, this particular guy was a judge i don't know i don't know whether he worked for a particular company but he was one of the panel who looked at all the nominations who nominated us and so i thought it was made sense to interview him to for him to explain why he nominated one which makes a great deal of sense so um this this happened before our nomination so i get there i'm trying to do the brief version so i go there and like it's all paid for um, and I get like reimbursed all the money so we go down on a train because I don't drive and this train was in the most random it was, it was in a station that was like 40 minutes away because Silverstone's in the middle of nowhere it's a tiny little village mm-hmm. uh, next to the track and then I get into a taxi and I go alright so can I go to this place he goes where's that and then my response is can you tell by my accent I'm not from here so I've got no idea where I'm supposed to be going so yeah and I pa- gave him the postcode <laughs> And so, because I didn't know in terms of distance, it took about half an hour to get to my the travel lodge where I was staying. And as I joked to people at the time, it looked like a murder a murder situation because the doors, like the windows, go down. He starts like turning the lights off in the taxi, and I'm going, "Is he going to take me in the middle of the forest and kill me?" <laughs> like that's really what it felt like because the tra- the the journey because it was a countryside area. He went from the 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 station right to the travel lodge like through countryside road so as I say it looked like he was literally like because at one point of a half an hour taxi journey you run out of things to talk about so I'm going he's like a serial killer stop talking to me now he's just going to take me I really started to like panic and I'm like going and then he's GP I'm like he's not using his GPS like that's a sign that's a sign Um, so anyway so that was funny Uh, the most expensive taxi fare I've ever got because it was like I don't know it was 40 quid or something like that I seem to remember 40 pound or something for a taxi which is a ridiculous amount of money Um, and considering I had to do that journey back to go home the next day but anyway so we get there long story short as we get to this uh, bearing in mind I just said you're going to get this award we're nominated and so one of the things they asked me to do when I got there is like could you do a speech which I hadn't been told about so I'm like fine just mention who you are and like great you're grateful and all this kind of thing so I'm the last person to go up on stage for our category and we're one of the last ones of the whole thing so I had to stay 
four hours the whole the whole event and so I go oh I'm really thankful and, I, and in my back of my mind I'm going I'm sort of like this is my acceptance speech because you know we're going to get this award it's going to be brilliant <laughs> and then I'm finished it and everyone's like the greatest speech ever like this guy's a genius and then I get to the thing and I'm in the process of doing it and the winner goes to and they say somebody else yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm going what? And you know that thing of like, you know, the Joey and Friends, you know, there was an episode where he goes, you know, you do the whole fake clap, but inside you're going, what the? Well, <laughs> what's going on? Topic, this is topical because yeah. the recent Oscars was, was announced. Oh yeah, where well, they got the wrong one. Yeah. I had no idea what was going on there, but I did read about it. But anyway, so to cut a long story short, um, they had sent us there under the pretense of we were going to win this award, and it turns out they kind of just did it uh, because they wanted people to be represented, because it turns out we were one of the few independent shows there and this particular company who was doing this award ceremony were given awards to company to shows that they sponsored so what they were trying to do was get individual shows to go there to give mm. this award show like legitimacy yeah. so we're sitting there going like wow we're doing well because you know it was really surreal and I understood now and I was being a little bit ignorant people were coming up to me going oh well done for nominated and like we've heard your show and it's really good you're not going to win and I'm like wow they're really negative like you know I've got, you know, let's be positive and in the back of my mind I'm going I already know I've won you know I'm doing the whole like oh, like I'm a cowboy going into a tavern like going into a uh, inn or you, tavern you or something you've got a heads I'm up. like the bee's yeah. knees I'm like going in going ah oh, hello loser you've <laughs> lost and, and I'm like what so anyway so that's a funny story about how we nearly won an award that we were supposed to win and turns out we didn't but there you go and that wraps things up <laughs> I guess the moral of that is just you know yeah. don't brag until yes. you actually have exactly, yeah. <laughs> the moral of the story is don't get a big enough head that you think you've won <laughs> even though someone's told you uh, don't believe a word people say that's the moral of that story <laughs> anyway let's wrap things up um, let's find a song to play us out any particular suggestions Mr Ricky we've got only 80 stuff to deal with uh, do you like Bee Gees uh, the... go for it uh, what is it? Uh, Bee Gees Disco. What's Disco? Well, it's the, the genre, isn't it? Oh, right, it's just the name of it. <laughs> yeah, it's the, oh, it's got Saturday. Let's you do that Bee Gees Let's do disco? Saturday. That's a good one. Let's do that. Okay, so a huge thank you to everyone who's been listening to Mentally Sound here. Thank you for to listening to our pilot episode. Hope it's been interesting and informative. Thanks to Spice FM. Thank yes, to Amit. Thanks to Amit. Thanks to Spice FM. To play us out, we're going to play some BG Saturday night, some 70s. Apparently it says it's 70s. I don't know with time, but uh, obviously we're going to be back in a month's time, which is going to be the second Friday of every yeah. month here on Spice yeah. FM, 12 till 2pm on Friday. And we're going to put this up as a podcast in about a week's time or so. And it's going to be replayed from Monday apparently Monday, but uh, go on Spice FM and you'll yeah. find the schedule huge thank you to everyone for listening obviously uh, at underscore mentally sound at geek, apocaly- at geek underscore apocalypse at vivid ricky on twitter and uh, we'll see you very soon for another edition of mentally sound on our new home on Spice FM thanks guys thank bye you.